Cowabunga, my dudes. It's time for another Filmic Feelings. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> A reference to one of the movies we saw this this month uh, and many movies more yet more yet to talk about. More yet. Can you tell it's early when we're recording this? Hello there, lovely listeners, and welcome to another episode of Filmic Feelings. I'm here with my co-host Cooper, as we are every week. Yeah. Wow, that's really quiet this week. Let's just adjust that. Yeah, that's better. Much better. Sounds much more like me. Um, yes. Welcome to another episode of Filmic Feelings. We have a lot of movies on the list that came out this month, um, but not all movies that we have seen, and not all movies that Cooper in particular has seen. Cooper, you haven't you haven't seen a lot of movies this month. I know. I've been very busy. He's been very busy doing what? No one knows. But he keeps telling me he's very busy. And you know, who am I to argue? Um, Because you've also been very busy. I mean, not really. I've seen one, two, three, four, five things on this list. It's only in the second half of the month and only because one of these films has been very difficult to locate um, in theatres in, in Australia. But, you know, what can you do? How's it been very difficult to locate? All the films are up on the board and you walk into a cinema. How is it hard to locate? Because it's not really been in many cinemas um, near where we live. Well, then just travel to it. It's a long way to travel and I'd have to go into Brisbane and the parking up there's a nightmare. And anyway... I just get an Uber. Right. Just get an Uber, he says. Anyway, we'll talk about that in a minute. But, uh, yeah, September has been uh, an interesting month for us here in Australia because we got two films that uh, the rest of the world have had for, for over a month. They're films that were August films for pretty much everywhere else in the world. Um, but we got them uh, early this month, uh, and we talked about it briefly in the last episode. That is Blue Beetle and TMNT, and I have seen both. Cooper, you have just seen TMNT. Is that correct? It is correct. I feel like I'm in a bit of a lie detector test now. Why? I haven't strapped you up to any to any lie detector test. Why would you be inclined to lie to our listeners about what you have or haven't seen? <laughs> because you said, is this correct? Well, obviously it's correct. You were at the f- film when I saw it. Well, that's true. But you might have gone to see Blue Beetle without me. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did. Great. Well, then you can tell me the plot of Blue Beetle. No. Right. Just don't feel like it. Hasn't seen it. Anyway. Um... I'll quickly talk about Blue Beetle. Um, I thought this film was fantastic. I really enjoyed um, uh, the experience of watching this film. It very much um, 
adheres to the kind of superhero origin story. Um, if you've watched the original Iron Man, Ant-Man, any of those movies, there's a kind of a set way that these things usually go and this movie follows that. But where it kind of um, forges its own path is, um, I mean, for one, the cultural story it tells. You know, the majority of the lead cast of this film, in fact, pretty much everyone bar one character in this film are Latino or Latinx. Um, And it has a very strong... And the director, um, you know, is is from that cultural background as well. So it very much um, dives into a lot about cultural identity, a lot about, uh, you know, the Latinx community in America and how they are treated and how that treatment influences decisions they make and ways that they think about the world. Um, and... I really love this movie. I think that it's a great entry into the complicated world of the DC universe, um, which to explain what's going on in that universe would take a whole other video. Um, so if you were interested in that kind of video, I'd be happy to do a breakdown of what's happening. And as we get closer to um, a lot of new DC movies that are coming out, we'll probably talk about it. But... Um, yeah, Blue Beetle, uh, and I'm going to get his name wrong, so I'm going to just pull it up so that I have. So I know it's pronounced Jolo, I think. God, now I'm doubting myself. But Jolo Maraduina, and if I've mispronunciated that, I'm deeply apologetic because um, he's a fantastic actor and I really love his work in um, Cobra Kai and in this film. He is, he plays uh, Jaime Reyes, who's the Blue Beetle, and he's a fantastic lead for this film. He's young, but he's not playing a teenager. He's playing someone closer to my age. And he's, you know, intelligent. He's funny. He's, um, you know, he's just got this, and, and he's emotionally vulnerable. He's not, this kind of macho man who thinks he's above his emotions. He really is a, an emotional, emotionally intelligent person. I think that's refreshing to see from from a character like him who can sometimes be written as a bit of a, um, you know, too cool for school type type character. But, yeah, I, I think he's really fantastic. George Lopez is great. Um, Susan Sarandon's great. The entire, the entire cast... Um, does a really good job. Uh, we won't go too much more down down that path because Coop hasn't seen the movie. Well, mm. so you thought this was actually a really good movie because you're not really into a lot of those DC films. Well, yes, and that's a whole conversation I could get into. This is I, – I like this because it's very separate from a lot of those DC films. It has a very different tone. Problem I the problem I've had with DC since twenty when did Man of Steel come out like twenty thirteen is that all of their films have felt just unnecessarily dark and gloomy and everything sucks and everyone sucks and um, occasionally you get a moment of hope 
and I know a lot of DC fans would probably um, disagree with my my reading of that, but that's how those movies make me feel, um, is it feels a little nihilistic. Whereas this film felt always, even in the, you know, and, and bad stuff happens and sad things happen, but... You know, there's there's never a moment where they don't rally together and there's never a moment where, um, you know, the, the hero tries to go out on his own to prove something to himself and to everyone around him. There's no moment where he kind of doesn't have the tough conversation or the, or the emotional moment with someone who he loves. Um, he's always very... Um, yeah, I think I think that's one of the most powerful things to me is, you know, even in a world where we profess um, that we are against toxic masculinity, in a lot of modern action heroes in particular, you see elements of toxic masculinity. You see these men who cannot be emotionally vulnerable. And sometimes there's a character-motivated reason for that, and I'm not saying that there should never be characters like that. What I'm saying is it's refreshing to see a character who is so in tune and connected to the idea of family and the idea of um, looking out for those he cares for and letting them be involved in that process as well. You know, um, Jaime brings his family along for the ride with him Um because even though there's danger, he knows that he can't do it without them and they know that um, they'll at least feel safer in knowing that, that they're there for him. It's a really... I, I find it to be a really powerful movie and a really powerful um, message for, for that character. Um, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. Now, Cooper, let's talk TMNT. All right. What? So this film is um, a, another reboot of the TMNT franchise. There's been a lot of TV shows, a lot of movies over the years. This was done by Seth Rogen, who's, um, you know, a very prolific actor, but has now become a very prolific producer, showrunner, kind of creative mind. Um, most recently, he's been doing stuff within the boys universe, which is on um, Amazon Prime and he uh, has just released or is in the process of releasing a new series from that universe called Gen V, which we'll probably never talk about on this show because Cooper is not the target demographic for that show. Well, you'll probably kick me out one day and just do a show on your own. Maybe. Maybe one day. But um, Isn't Seth the one that directed Brooklyn Nine-Nine? No. No, I don't... Well, I don't think so. Let's have a look. Stay with us. Sorry, we're just doing some... Oh, okay, that's just a joke that he made on... No, I don't think he was ever involved. Um, he was referenced, I, I believe... He was never involved. Um, 
but yeah, so um, Seth has always been involved in writing and producing, um, but even more so now is doing a lot of stuff in that ilk. And TMNT is his latest. It very much is in the same kind of vein as an Into the Spider-Verse where it's got a very unique visual aesthetic um, and tells a very um, big superhero story, but it's all about very like, I don't know, how do I describe this? It's, it's, you know, a far-reaching story in terms of there's mutants and there's things going on. There's big fight scenes with big monsters. And yet at its core, what it's really about is family. And, um, and these four brothers who... It's about family and it's about acceptance. Because it's about these four brothers who have only ever been together. And as the teenagers that they are, they want time to themselves. But they and and that's because they want to be accepted. They want to be accepted by society, and it's all about them trying to f- push for that acceptance, but also realizing that their their togetherness as brothers is always something that needs to be a focus for them. Family, own girlfriend, I got family. <laughs> it's Vin Diesel for any of you who don't who don't know. Um, Sounded a bit like. A sort of mix of Vin Diesel and Darren Lockyer. Oh, okay. I didn't think I'd gargled enough nails this morning to sound like Darren Lockyer, but maybe. Um, Cooper, what did you think of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Mutant Mayhem. Sorry, he's still laughing at my Darren Lockyer joke. Give him a <laughs> moment, everybody. Oh, now he's coughing. Maybe he's about to sound like Darren Lockyer. <laughs> Who thought that Darren Lockyer would end up being referenced in this show? Yeah, who thought? Mm. Anyway. Uh, what were we saying? Sorry, I forgot. Well, your thoughts on the uh, on the episode. Uh, not on the episode. <laughs> your thoughts on how the episode's going so far. <laughs> Horribly. Oh, how exciting. Um, your thoughts on TMNT, uh, Mutant May- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. Well, I've never seen any of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes, so this was your first kind of exposure to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as characters. The only time actually bringing it back around to Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the first, the only thing I've actually ever heard was a Jake reference to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, right, okay. Remember when they were in the sewers? I do recall, yeah. And so that's... Really, the only thing I knew, all I knew is they were turtles that lived in sewers, basically. Right, okay. And what did you walk away knowing or thinking about them as characters and, and this movie as a whole? Uh, you could say they're heroes, uh-huh. in a way. They were obviously stealers. Right, yes. Ninjas. Yeah. Uh, Mutants. Turtles. Teenagers. Well, of course, they're those. All of the all of the four things that are in the title <laughs> of this movie. You're ruining my bit. Anyway, now I've forgotten what I was saying again. <laughs> Tell us. So, uh, let's start with: Did you like the film? Of course. You did. What did you like about it? I liked how it was a funny film. Uh huh. I liked how 
Um, what are you searching for? <laughs> I don't know what I'm searching for. Names um, or? No. I know all the names. Tell me them now. No. No, do it. No, I don't know. Anyway. Uh, oh, goodness. I liked the film. I thought it had a comedy aspect to it. Yeah. Uh, I also liked how they went from nothing to, like, you know, they reached their goal of being They did. They, known. they reached their goal of being accepted by society. Yeah, so I like that, like zero to hero, yeah, almost. Very Hercules. What? Sorry, there's a song in the film Hercules, like the Disney film Hercules. That's um. Zero to hero and no time flies. Zero to hero, just like that. Oh. Yeah. Uh, what else? So what I will say about the film while Cooper gets his thoughts together is I love that for really the first time the turtles are being voiced by teenagers Um, because usually you get them either it's adults pretending to be teenagers or it's adults just speaking like adults and they're just kind of not teenage mutant ninja turtles. They're just kind of mutant ninja turtles. Um. And so I really love that you really get the authenticity of these guys being young and being teenagers and they're doing, you know, cringy videos where they throw shurikens at, at watermelons and they they have all these in-jokes with one another because they're always spending all this time with one another. And, and the thing that I loved is that at the start of the movie, they've never been in a fight with anyone other than themselves. And so when they go into their first fight, they don't know really, they know what they're doing because they've been trained, but they don't really know how, like their first fight is kind of a mess because they, you know, just don't know what they're doing. Um, And I really loved that. I thought that was a very, very different change of pace. And through that experience, they learn, um, you know, they they find their training and they kind of um, are able to to fight a lot better and they, they fight really well as a team. And, I mean, the voice cast of this film is stacked. I mean, you've got Jackie Chan, you've got Seth Rogen, John Cena, Post Malone, uh, Rose Byrne, Hannibal Boris. Uh, I'm missing at least two. Uh, Paul Rudd. Uh, and I already said Jackie Chan. Who I haven't said yet is Giancarlo Esposito is in this film. I think I said Seth Rogen. Natasha Dimest. Oh, I never get her name right. Give me a moment. Um... Also, Io Itabiri and the three youngsters, the three turtles in this are um, Nicholas Cantu, Micah Abbey, Brady Noon, and 
Where are you? Fourth child. Uh, Shimon Brown Jr. Oh, Ice Cube. That's one I was missing. You've also got then Maya Rudolph and uh, Natasia. I'm so not going to get this right. Natasha Dimitru. And I'm just going to go with that as her name. I apologize if I've gotten it wrong. You did get it wrong. Well, you know, it happens. Isn't she the one that's going around on all those domain ads at the moment? She is. Rose Byrne and her husband, whose name I've literally just forgotten. Bobby Cannavale. That's it. Um, Anyway, yeah, I I really liked TMNT. I had a good time with it. And Cooper, it sounds like you liked it too. Yeah, and see, I can't reference the fact that there were teenagers in this and they've never been voiced by teenagers because I didn't actually know that. I don't know if it's they've never been voiced by teenagers, but I know that all the other adaptations of them that I've watched have had them voiced by adults. Um, and so, yeah, it felt, it felt very different for me. Hmm. Cool. Right. Well, I'm now going to talk very briefly about a film that I've seen that Cooper hasn't. (coughs) And, uh, in keeping with the upcoming spooky season, uh, this film is called No One Will Save You. And it is a... To call it a horror film, I think, is a bit much. It's not really a horror film. It's a lot more of a thriller because there aren't really, like, scares in the horror sense of it. The horror sensibility comes from just the kind of... um, Some of the imagery that you see is a bit horrific and a bit, you know, um, unsettling. Um, But I really enjoyed this film. I think I need to watch this film again because I think that I went into it uh, a bit distracted. It was kind of late at night. I was a bit tired. Um, And I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I mean, (coughs) this film is a masterclass in visual storytelling because in the entire 93-minute runtime, there is one line of dialogue delivered by the main character, and it's not until something like 75 minutes in that you actually get that line of dialogue. And then outside of that, there is no dialogue by any character. Um, And so it's all told through visual storytelling. And it tells the story. It communicates everything that it's trying to tell, you know. Um, But yeah, it's kind of, it starts as this alien uh, home invasion. Aliens break into the house of this young woman. And you think it's kind of going one way and then it does a bit of a pivot into an unexpected direction. And uh, I, I think I'm going to give this one another watch just because I, I really need to sit and really hone in on it and focus um, to, I think, really get the full experience out of it. So if you're looking for something to kind of dig your teeth into, uh, no One Will Save You is on Disney Plus right now. Um, and that's why I don't want to spoil it too much. I'd love for people to go see this film with uh, not much understanding of, of what's going to happen. Cooper, A Haunting in Venice. 
Now we get to the fun one. Yeah, so uh, I I think a lot of people would be surprised to know, Cooper, that you really love a haunting in Venice. Um, well, not not just that you love a haunting in Venice, but you enjoy all of the Poirot films that, that Kenneth Branagh has been doing the last few years. Yes. Um, I think I started, we wanted to go see Death on the Nile. Yeah. And you made me watch the first one. Oh, <coughs> my voice is going out slightly. Yeah, so you, I, I made you watch um, Murder on the Orient Express before we went to Death on the Nile. And then um, we wanted to go to this one together. And I think out of all of them, I think this one is probably my favourite. Out of every film? Out of all three, yes. I think this is my favourite. Oh, you're talking about these films? Yeah, I, I thought you were talking about every stuff film. on the list. No. Well, I mean, it's up there. But I definitely think this is my favourite one of these Poirot films that, that Kenneth has yeah. done. Yeah, see, what I like about this one, and I'm qualified to talk about it because I've seen all the others. Right. But what I like about this one is it's not just someone's been murdered, he's going to find out who it is because... Quite a big part of the story is the ghosts. Mm. And, you know, maybe the big question is maybe it was ghosts that did it. Yeah, there's a very <coughs> there's a very interesting relationship that this film has with the supernatural. And, you know, it's not it's not a horror. Um, similar to I wouldn't say it's got a few jump scares, but it's not horrifying and no. they're not even really massive jump scares that might just give you a bit of a scare yeah it's very much still a mystery film and it's it's you know the the supernatural is being used to obscure something else and but does that necessarily mean that the supernatural doesn't exist that's kind of the question posed in this in this film and I find it really interesting the ways in which they deal with that and, and deal with the supernatural and, and talk about it. But, yeah, I definitely think this is my favourite. And you know what it is? What? The real environments for this world. What do you mean? So, I mean, in the first one, you've got... They're the on, train? They're on the train. And it's clearly outside the train is um, CGI. Oh, really? Yeah. And when they get off the train, it's CGI. And on Death on the Nile, it's CGI. In this, all very real. See, that's because he's retired. And I don't know if you know this, but he does actually live in Venice. Who? Well, do you remember where the first film started? Did it start in Venice? I'm pretty sure. I don't think it did. The first film, when they're on the boat, I believe that's in Venice. What do you mean when they're on the boat? You know, before they get on the train, when he's on the boat? No, I'm pretty sure he's in Israel, isn't he? Possibly, but I thought it well, was Well, it wouldn't be Israel at the time because Israel wasn't... wasn't f uh, did not exist at the time. Um, murder on the Orient Express. See, it definitely looks like Venice, which would make me think it is Venice. 
Jerusalem. Um, cut, cut. No, cut no what cutting. I just said. No cutting. You've just got to own up to the fact that you were wrong. So, uh, what what I really like about this film is it's set, and I I didn't quite realize this until I was watching it again, that it's set like ten years after Death on the Nile. Wait, you saw it again? Or sorry, until I was reading about it. Um, just before we started this episode, because I no, I haven't seen it again. But it's set in nineteen forty-seven, so it's literally ten ten years after Death on the Nile, and in a lot of ways, you feel the the difference that the time has made. He's very much um. He's very reclusive. He doesn't want to be solving crimes anymore. He's seen some really awful things in his in his life. And he just wants to live a very quiet existence. But there's, you know, this this drive within him that can't help but want to solve mysteries. And as as I was saying before. This, these stories, these mysteries are also tactile. You know, they're very intimate and and uh, nuanced and complicated. And I just feel that this, where this one really excels, is it's in one house where you don't need to see exteriors, and you get a lot more of a of a real feeling out of it, I feel, you know. But I think that's also because the last two being in modes of transport, there's this kind of um, not artificial sense of movement, but there's kind of this, you get this kind of inbuilt momentum with them where, you know, the train is always moving forward and until it stops. But, you know... The train is always moving until it comes to a station. But, you know, it is – there's an inherent sense of motion in in that as a, as a story element. Same with a boat, you know, and they're on the boat in Death on the Nile. Whereas this one I think also isn't packed with as many stars, quote-unquote. I mean, it still, you know, boasts – Kenneth Branagh, obviously, Michelle Yeoh, uh, Jamie Dornan, uh, don't you have the cast list literally open right now? I do. Sorry. I'm just trying to find Kelly Riley, um, is the name I was looking for, uh, Tina Fey, but I don't know. They, even though they're big actors, they don't feel like they're taking up the same kind of space. I don't know. Like when you watch Murder on the Orient Express, it's like Johnny Depp and and Michelle Pfeiffer and Josh Gad and Derek Jacoby and... and Judy and Dench. Judy Dench and uh, Olivia Coleman's in that first one. And Penelope Cruz is in that one. You've got all of these very big, 
big names, these very big identities. And then even in the last one, you had Russell Brand and you had um, Gal Gadot and you had Army Hammer, who we won't talk about any more than mentioning his name there. Why? Long story. Won't go into it on camera um, or on, on mic. On camera? Not on camera either or on mic. But, yeah, the, this film feels a lot more intimate and and doesn't feel as much like star power, star power, star power. It's it's a lot more um, down to earth, I feel. Um, we also, of course, have to reference Ricardo Scarmaccio, who um, is obviously uh, someone we know from John Wick Chapter 2. Yes. Mm. And that's all Cooper has to say on the matter, So apparently. we can call him Rick, whatever his last name is? We're not going to call him Rick. Why not? Because that's reserved. For Danny Rick. Oh, it's Danny Rick. It's boy. Danny Rick. Oh, my goodness. It's Danny. And anyway. Ricardo. You Okay, don't start correcting me now. You called him Danny Rick. No, I'm talking about the other guy. Yeah, he's he gets Ricardo. So Only the boring people get Ricardo. Don't be rude to Ricardo Scamaccio. Well, anyway. then call yourself Rick, mate. Do you have anything else to say about a haunting in Venice, Cooper? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, I forgot how much. How much OCD's got? Yes. Yeah, he's very obsessive compulsive. He's like Mr. Declan, the producer. Oh wait, Declan, you're here. Uh, never mind. Mm. Declan's about to be OCD in the sense that he's going to slap one side of your face, and then to make sure it all matches, he's going to slap the other side. <laughs> um. So quickly to go through a few films that have released this month that we haven't seen. Uh, we have not seen The Nun 2 or Saw X because they're not really our kind of films. Oh, are they not? No. I mean, I'd consider seeing The Nun before I saw Saw. I'm sorry, what? What? You went on a rant about The Nun 2 the other day. What do you mean? Did I? Yeah. You don't like that style of film, apparently. I don't. I don't like... um, Well... I don't know. I mean, I don't really, but also I really like Talk To Me and that was a possession horror movie. So maybe, I don't know. Now you're um, just going to become a horror of film buff. Well, who knows? But I, I'm definitely, I mean, I've seen the first Saw movie and that was even a bit much. Now it's just become a bit of a spectacle piece and I'm not really a fan of watching that kind of thing. Um, but I've heard that Saw X is really a fantastic movie and I'm for, for people who like that kind of movie, from what I've heard, go see Saw X. It's apparently very good. <coughs> the Nun 2 I haven't heard much about, so I'm not sure about that one. Two films that, are, well, I really want to see and one film that Cooper wants to see, but we just haven't gotten there yet. So The Creator released, I think it was last week, um, and it's a film that Cooper and I both really want to see. It's from Gareth Edwards who did Rogue One, a uh, Star Wars story, and it stars John David Washington, Gemma Chan, 
uh, Ken Watanabe. Yes, let's just hope that it's better than Rogue One. Stop hating on Rogue One. It's horrible. I won't won't stand for it. It's horrible. Worst thing to come out of Star Wars. You're the worst thing to come out of Star Wars. I was never in Star Wars. Anyway, the creator... I mean, apart from Ahsoka, but you know. (laughs) The creator is one that we really want to see. We just haven't gotten around to seeing it in the last week. Um, Hopefully, we'll be able to see it and talk about it. Well, not hopefully. We will be able to see it before our October wrap-up and we'll just kind of do do it as a bit of a late entry because um, I dare say there won't be much that Cooper will be able to talk about next month, just looking at next month's releases that we'll go over in a minute. Uh, and then the other one I want to see that is definitely not in Cooper's wheelhouse is a film called Bottoms. It's about a uh, high school fight club Um and it looks very funny and I've heard phenomenal things about it. And so I really would like to see it. Um, so hopefully um, it's not really been in many cinemas over here in Australia. So I'm really hoping that it'll either come to streaming or it'll come to Beyond Demand and I'll be able to watch that one. But yeah, uh, one more thing to talk about in our wrap up for this month is and we're really talking about them because they are kind of films in a real sense is we've got the first two episodes of the continental a john wick story um in the last two weeks we've got the final episode coming out uh as you're listening to this episode the final episode comes out tomorrow um Cooper, what have you thought of the first two episodes of The Continental so far? It's good, bro. It's good, bro. Wow, he's such a teenager, isn't he? Hey. Well. Wash your mouth, boy. If you don't want me to call you that, say more. Um, I like how there's a couple references to the John Wick films in there. Uh-huh. Like we see John's Mustang. Yeah. There's also a sign that we see and it says, be seeing you. And we can only assume that that's where Winston gets the be seeing you, John. Well, Winston doesn't say that, though. Who says it? Everyone else says it oh. to John. Be seeing you, John. Really? Yeah, Winston doesn't say it. Winston just says, Jonathan, Jonathan, Jonathan. My question is, the only thing I'm confused about in this series so far is that Winston's accent doesn't seem to match the one that Ian McShane has in the John Wick films. Ian McShane is a lot more um, British than the man they've got playing him in in this film. I'm not sure what the go is with that. Maybe they just wanted a bit of a cowboy to play him. Sure, maybe. Uh, personally, I'm really I'm I'm enjoying this series. Uh, Mel Gibson plays a very good villain, um, but that's something that we all knew. He's very good at that type of role. Uh, I'm enjoying the fights when they come around. Uh, there aren't a huge amount of them, um, but obviously basically. that's. Well, not none. There's probably one none. big fight sequence, an episode, and then a few other mini 
bits of action. Um, but I think that that's going to kind of even out in the final episode because, I mean, the final episode's all out war with the Continental. So I dare say we're going to get... After about an hour of just setting up for that, yes, it will be. Well, and then it'll just be a half an hour war. I guess we'll see. But, yeah, very interested to see what we get for the final episode of that one. But that's uh, all that's really been going on in September movie-wise and a little bit TV-wise with the final entry there. Now, next month, next month is very... um, We're heading into awards season. Um, And you can tell that by looking at the breakdown of next month's releases. So, next month... Uh, we've got, and this isn't, actually, how am I going to format this? I'm just going to go through kind of in order of release and then um, I'll just kind of reference where what I'm talking about comes into effect. So you've got The Exorcist Believer, which is a sequel to the original film The Exorcist and features the return of, I think it's Ellen Burstyn who's from the original Exorcist. She's the original little girl. Um, Yes, that's Ellen Burstyn. Uh, So when was the first one? 1973. Oh, so this this one's a long, long time. Very long time coming. 50 years in the making. So um, we've got the Exorcist Believer. I haven't heard much about that one and what that one's going to be like. Um, We have The Marsh King's Daughter, which stars uh, Daisy Ridley, Garrett Hedlund, Ben Mendelsohn. Wow, it's a regular Aussie Aussie bring together with Ben Mendelsohn and Garrett Hedlund. Um, But it's probably aiming to be a bit of an awards contender. It follows Helena, a woman living a seemingly ordinary life, but hiding a dark secret within that her father is the infamous Marsh King, the man who kept her and her mother captive in the wilderness for years. After a lifetime of trying to escape her past, Helena is forced to face her demons when her father unexpectedly escapes from prison. Um, then we've got Foe. Saoirse Ronan and Paul Mescal star in Foe, a haunting exploration of marriage identity set in an uncertain world. Han and Junior farm a secluded piece of land that has been in Junior's family for generations, but their quiet life is thrown into turmoil when an uninvited stranger shows up at their door with a startling proposal. Based on the best-selling author Ian Reid's novel, directed by Garth Davis and co-written by Davis and Reid, Foe's mesmerizing imagery and persistent questions about the nature of humanity and artificial humanity bring the not-too-distant future to luminous life. So maybe a bit of AI in there. Um, and real quick, just to circle back to the Exorcist Believer, it's a father played by Leslie Odom Jr. tracking down Chris McNeil played by Ellen Burstyn, who's the child from the original Exorcist. Um, uh, Leslie Odom Jr. tracks her down after his child becomes possessed along with another neighborhood child. So those ones will be interesting. We've then got The Burial, based on a true story. The film tells of a personal injury lawyer from Mississippi who took on the case of Jeremiah O'Keefe, an owner of a local train of funeral homes. O'Keefe claimed that he had been cheated by a major funeral parlor conglomerate, 
with the cooperation of O'Keefe's lawyer, who was an admitted racist, he won $260 million for O'Keefe. Um, and the lead in that film, the personal injury lawyer from Mississippi, is played by uh, Jamie Foxx. It also features Tommy Lee Jones, Journey Smollett, and a few other names. We then go to Killers of the Flower Moon, which is the latest from everyone's favorite. Oh, my God. How am I blanking on his name right now? Martin Scorsese. Gosh, I was about to feel real stupid then. I still kind of do. But it, it Kills of the Flower Moon tells the true crime story about multiple murders of members of the Asajj Indian tribe in Oklahoma that occurred after they found oil on their lands. It's the latest from Martin Scorsese. Uh, and a bit different to what he would usually explore. He usually does a lot about the mob. Maybe there's still some connection there. Um, but you've got Leonardo DiCaprio, Tentu Cardinal, Lily Gladstone, Bradley Thomas, Robert De Niro, Lisa Frechette, and Eric Roth involved in that one. Next up, we have uh, a kind of pseudo-Australian movie. Um, we've got the Royal Hotel. Americans Hannah and Liv are best friends backpacking in Australia. After they run out of money, Liv, looking for an adventure, convinces Hannah to take a temporary live-in job behind the bar of a pub called the Royal Hotel in a remote outback mining town. Bar owner Billy and a host of locals give the girls a riotous introduction to down-under drinking culture, but soon Hannah and Liv find themselves trapped in an unnerving situation that grows rapidly out of their control. Um, very excited for this one. It stars, uh, Jessica Henwick, Julia Gardner and Hugo Weaving. Next up, we've got Fair Play. I'm just looking for the little Fair Play dude. on this one. Uh, Fair Play, where is it? There it is. Uh, this one stars Alden Ehrenreich and Phoebe Davina. I think that's how you pronounce her name. But basically it's about a couple in the finance world who um, are basically vying for the same job position and when one of them gets it and the other doesn't, it tests the strength of their relationship. Then... We've got another strong contender for award season. Obviously, the ones for award season so far have been your Killers of the Flower Moon, Foe, um, probably The Burial, uh, and this one, which is Nyad. Nyad is about the marathon swimmer Diana Nyad, who is trying to swim... I believe it's the Gulf of Mexico that she's trying to swim across. Swam around. She swam from the Bahamas to to Florida. So yeah, she swam across the um, She was 64 when she tried five times to swim 177 kilometers from Cuba to Florida. Um, I wouldn't want to do that. I'd be worried of getting my shark. 
Yeah, hundred percent. Uh that one stars uh Give me a moment. Also sixty four, was it? Yeah. I mean fair play. Yeah. It very, very impressive. Uh that one stars Annette Benning in the title role, Jodie Foster and Reese Ifans. We then go down to the next one, which is Pain Hustlers. This is about a high school dropout who lands a job with a failing pharmaceutical startup in a Florida strip mall. She catapults the company into the high life and finds herself at the center of a criminal conspiracy with deadly consequences. This one stars Emily Blunt, Chris Evans, Andy Garcia, and Jay Duplass. It looks a lot of fun. And the final one for this month is really the only spooky entry other than The Exorcist Believer. So really there's only the two of them. I guess The Royal Hotel is a bit of a spooky one, but it seems a bit more of a thriller film. Um, the final one is Five Nights at Freddy's. Ooh, Set. I love this one. Do you really? Well, I know Five Nights at Freddy's. How? Really? Yeah. I didn't know you were, you were aware of that. I'm very cultural, my friend. Sure, but Freddy's is Five Nights at Freddy's is. I mean, it's. I don't remember how old the first game is, but it's been nearly ten years. It has to have been. Not saying I ever played it. I just know Five Nights at Freddy's. Okay. There you go. When did the first one come out? I'm just looking this up because I am curious. Oh. Also, I don't know whether you mentioned it in there, but I'm pretty sure you missed one. What? The Expendables. Well, technically that's already out in, in the US, but you're right. But it's did. not out. It's not out here. It's out here. Um, well, actually, next. technically it's out tomorrow. It's out tomorrow, our time. Okay, so Five Nights at Freddy's was 2014, so it was nine years ago that this first came out. Um, but it's set in Freddy Fazbear's Freddy Fazbear's Pizza. Say that five times fast. An animatronic. Freddy Fazbear. Freddy Fazbear. Freddy Fazbear. An animatronic animal band performing kitty songs by day and go on murderous rampages by night. Hang on, stars. I want to try that again. Okay, go for it. Freddy Fazbear's. Freddy Fazbear's. Freddy Fazbear's. Freddy. See, told you. No. Uh, this. It's not possible. This one stars uh, Josh Hutchison, Josh Hutchison, Matthew Lillard, and Elizabeth Lale. And it's, of course, based on the Freddy Fazbear's games made by Scott Cawthon. Uh, and then, yes, Cooper is right. The Expendables uh, has come out over in America in the last week or two weeks. Uh, it comes out here this week. And uh, people are already heralding it as as a big contender for the worst movie of 2023. I thought you said worst film of all time. Well, some people are claiming that, but, you know, that's that's a bit more difficult to assess. Worst film of 2023 is a lot more of a... It's a smaller race, you know. Because we all know what the worst film of 2023 is, right? Mm. What? Leaving it up to the audience. Oh, let's have a fight in the comments section. Right. 
you're trying to start a war in the comments. I like it. I don't actually, but why not? Let's do it. All right, everybody. Well, that has been our September wrap-up for Filmic Feelings and a look ahead at October. Um, Cooper, is there anything on that list that you're particularly excited about? Uh, this month's sort of a not-me film. Not for films, but, I mean, we've also got Loki Season 2 comes out uh, to today. I think it's today. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. Wait, isn't there a week between it and Ahsoka? No. It's out this week. It's. It, I think it's just a case of whether it comes out our time today or whether it comes out our time tomorrow. I'm not 100% sure on that. Well, it should be today. Well, that that's one thing we've been watching this month. We've been continuing Ahsoka. We've been continuing Ahsoka. And I, I think actually never mentioned what I've been watching this month. What have you been watching this month? We all know what I've been watching, well, apart from the, the audience. the audience don't know, and they're the majority of the people here. So I've been, for the first time ever, watching Wheeler Dealers. Yes, and he has not stopped talking about it. Well, you've never watched it, okay? I know, and that's why I feel like you've never stopped talking about it. Never stopped talking about it? I've been watching it, what, a month? Yes, but you've always been talking about it. When? For the last 10 years. No, I didn't even know about Wheel and Dealers 10 10 years ago. I think I figured out Wheel and Dealers a couple months ago. Right. Anyway, so that's something you've been watching. Yes, and for anyone who doesn't know what it is, it's basically a show where where the two hosts, they buy a car, fix it, sell it for a profit. Flipping cars. Yes, and you... In the same way that you flip houses. You'd learn a lot from it. Would I really? Well, maybe one day. I've learned a lot about it and I know everything, so... Right. Well, maybe one day I'll learn. But until that day, lovely listeners, we shall leave you for this episode of Filming Feelings and we shall be back next week with a new episode of the main show uh, and we will be talking about... Uh, it's part two of our um, active living special, if you want to call it that. I don't know. Active living's a bit of a stretch. Well, you know. And then for the next Filmic Feelings, we'll see. There's a few things that we could do. We'll see what we feel like doing by the time we get there. But until then, have a lovely day, everybody. Bye. Bye. Yeehaw. Hey. Yeah! Wow, he just hit the button instead of saying yeah! himself. Oh, there he goes. Anyway, bye everybody. Bye. bye.